Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Today's episode has been sponsored by Jay McLaughlin. Jay McLaughlin is a timeless lifestyle brand with incredible style and a spirit of connection. I am obsessed with Jay McLaughlin and have been so honored that they are sponsoring my Zibbyverse tour. It just so happens that the tour goes to so many communities and areas of the country that have Jay McLaughlin stores. And I love that the brand is philanthropic through Jay McLaughlin's local and loyal programming host store events to give back to organizations that are meaningful to Jay McLaughlin's local communities. I also love the fact that the clothes are just so chic. They make me feel polished and modern. And the best part is that most of the line comes in fabrics that don't wrinkle. I especially love the dresses, the cashmere sweaters, the other sweaters. You'll see them all over my Instagram. I typically tag at Jay McLaughlin. And so you can check it out. It is absolutely one of my favorite brands and I am over the moon excited to be working with them. In fact, I want to share the love with all of you. Jay McLaughlin is giving 20% off new customers and listeners of my podcast with special code ZIBBY20, capital Z-I-B-B-Y 20. That's 20% off for new customers and listeners of the podcast with special code capital Z Zibby 20. Take advantage of it today. My favorites are this white open long cashmere sweater that I've been wearing on every flight that I've taken on this tour. I have a blue with light blue horizontal striped sweater, several dresses I even wore on Corny America. Check it out. Jay McLaughlin. Thanks so much. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now, thank you so much, called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com. Dot com and definitely check out those shows as well. Alyssa Friedland is the author of The Most Likely Club. This episode was guest hosted by Allison Pataki. 
Alyssa has been on this podcast like 57 times for all of her books. Okay, fine, not 57, but Alyssa is the author of five novels and a forthcoming picture book. She attended Yale University, where she currently teaches novel writing and Columbia Law School. She lives in New York City with her husband and three children. Hello, everybody. Allison Pataki here with Alyssa Friedland, author of The Most Likely Club, Alyssa's fifth book. Alyssa, thank you so much for chatting with us today. Thank you for having me. Oh, my so goodness. nice to see you. So exciting. So nice to see you as well. So your fifth book. So good, so juicy, so thought-provoking. Will you just start by telling us a little bit about this book and your decision to write it? Definitely. So The Most Likely Club is about four women who were very good friends in high school. They went to high school in the 90s in a small private school in Connecticut. And they've more or less stayed in touch through the years, although obviously their lives are busy. And they receive an invitation to their 25th high school reunion. And of course, that produces like all the jitters and angst that you would expect and really kind of brings them back in touch more frequently. Three of the four of them make it back to campus for the reunion where they have a lot of time to reflect and consider where they've ended up in their lives, look around at their classmates and see where their classmates have ended up. And it sets them on a path to try to make their high school superlatives come true. So they each had a most likely in the yearbook and things have not exactly worked out the way the yearbook predicted. And they (laughs) set themselves on a course to try to make these dreams come true. And I, I really wanted to write the book because my kids are getting older and I have three children, a 14, a 12 and a nine. And I've just felt a really big shift in parenting lately where when my kids ask for advice or seem upset about things, I have much more, I I just have a much more clear picture of what that time was like in my life. Like my memories really kick in. So when my oldest might come, might've come home years ago and said like, so-and-so took the blocks from me at recess or so-and-so pushed me on the swings. I'm like, you know, okay, that's sad, whatever. But it wasn't like, bringing me back with deja vu to that moment, you know, because I was five at the time. I don't remember. But when my big kids are upset about so-and-so is really popular and said this thing about me and now nobody wants to sit with me at lunch, I'm like, oh my God, it's like I'm back in middle school. I'm back in high school. And parenting kids where you suddenly remember all these times in your own life it just, it's a very weird, crazy experience. And you want to tell your kids like, none of it matters, which is kind of true and kind of not true. And I explore that a lot in the book. Like some things that happen to us when we're young, stay with us forever. Other things we are able to just dismiss later on. Totally. Totally. So you talked just now about how going back to their reunion brings up for them all the things what did this do for you? Was How much of this was based on your high school experience? Obviously, we're talking about the 90s. You lean so heavily into, I just loved all the 90s, the grunge. You talk about Titanic. You talk about friends, the music. What was, you know, what were the 90s like for you? What was high school like for you? How much did you draw on your own experience? So I'm definitely a product of the 90s. I graduated high school in 1999, which makes me two years younger than my fictional characters. And that's just because I wanted the timing to make sense with their 25th reunion. So mine will be coming up soon. And I will definitely go. I grew up in New Jersey. I went to a small private school. It wasn't 
as big as the school that I write about in the Most Likely Club. So it didn't have like quite as many groups. Like there weren't enough kids to have like the artsy group, the druggy group, the athlete group, the cheerleader group, the brainiac group, the chess club. Like it was, but it still had, of course, its social stratifications. I certainly was all in for grunge. I wore a lot <laughs> of that dark, almost black lipstick from MAC that my parents hated. I remember I wore my hair a lot, like with the middle part and then those two pieces just right down exactly. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. guys can see that. <laughs> Allison just like literally <laughs> put her fingers over her forehead exactly where those two strands hung down. I definitely experimented with daisies in my hair, a la Drew Barrymore. I watched Romeo and Juliet with Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes like a hundred times and bawled my eyes out. You know, I, I just, I wouldn't even say like I love the 90s so much. It was just such a huge part of my life. It was such a pivotal moment, that like vulnerable time in your life where you're changing and every day feels different and and every emotion you have as a teenager is just like amplified, you know, like you just don't have perspective at that age. And so the 90s are sort of the decade where like I just felt a lot, a lot of feelings. Yeah. Yeah. How do you parent your kids now when they come home with a lot of feelings and it takes you back? Like, how do you do it? So very interesting. Like I've, I've gotten different pieces of advice on this, which of course is like, if you ever do any digging into like parenting and read any parenting books, you will find just as many books that say to do one thing as you will to say to do the exact opposite, which is why I've stayed away from parenting books. But I've heard from people I trust, you should relate it to your own experiences. Then I've heard from other people I trust, you should not relate it to your own experiences. That devalues what your kids are going through. So basically, it depends on my mood and what I'm in the mood to talk about. A lot of my parenting has, because like I work full time and I know we're going to get into that also in our conversation, like Mm -hmm. just the busyness and the exhaustion. A lot of my parenting is fly by the seat of my pants. It's not really like well thought out. And there are times where I look at my husband and I think like there are things we want for our children that they're not doing. Like they're not doing enough community service. I won't call out which one, but like one where like he he needs, well, I only have two boys, so it's one of the two, needs more of a passion, you know? He hasn't really found his passion. But that takes like time, like to sit and talk to my husband and think, what are some things we could introduce him to? Then sitting with him and trying different things. Really, I'm like, if I got him to like cut his nails and brush his teeth and not lose his jacket, then like, I feel like the day was a success, you know? But it's like, you don't, and that was really sort of what was important with me in this book is that these women are at a crossroads in their life. And there are things that they want that would make them happier, or at least they want to try to see if they'd be happier. But making any bigger changes are so difficult when you're so exhausted from the daily life. So to answer your question, though, about parenting, I would say that one thing I do think is that even though when I, whatever approach I take, whether to relate it to something from my own life or just be there to listen and acknowledge how difficult it is, I don't think that there's a way for a parent to like take away the pain and the discomfort. I really don't. And I think, but I think that's good because I think this is the time to have those knocks and this is the time to get stronger. Mm-hmm. And so it's probably a good thing that I can't just wave a magic wand. And if my daughter were to come home and say, everyone follows Lucy and Lucy doesn't like me. And so now no one sits with me at lunch. 
And I could be like, well, let me tell you about the Lucy from my high school. And like, she is such a loser now. And da, da, da. And like, even if that were to, let's say that worked. And magically, my daughter went from crying to smiling and just saying like, you're right, who cares? Like, who cares about Lucy? You know, mm-hmm. I don't think that would be good. Because I think that those experiences of like, yeah, I'm hysterically crying. One night I did cry myself to sleep. I was nervous to go to school the next day. I did have to evaluate who my real friends are. And I did have to take a test in calculus while I was upset about something social, you know, all these things are like, would make you prepared to be an adult. Yeah. And so I sort of think that Yes, of course, like you want, if your kid is crying at a level 10 and upset at a level 10, if you can get them to an eight, that's great. But I don't want to get them to a zero. Oh, so good. I love what you said. This is the time for them to get their knocks. And okay, so speaking of being a mom, being a woman, working, being a wife, you know, quote unquote, striving to have it all. You say it so well here. I just want to read something that you wrote in this book. You say... Was being a successful, happy, fulfilled woman nothing but a pipe dream? That you were a ball-busting professional with no personal life or the idyllic stay-at-home mother with an Ivy League degree collecting dust on the wall? Or maybe you have the adorable kids and the enviable career, but your spouse hates you for it. There seemed no way to win. There should have been a course in high school on reasonable expectations. Instead, they were memorizing SAT words and figuring out what parabolas were, useless knowledge taking up precious space in their brains. I mean, wow. So, Alyssa, is there no way to win? Do the women in this book stay in this place? Do they arrive to sort of a different conclusion? How do you feel about that when you, you know, write these words that you wrote? Everything I wrote there, I would write again today. I don't feel any differently. I mean, I probably wrote that two years ago. It's not like it was 20 years ago, but nothing has changed in the last two years that has made me feel like every word of that isn't true. I feel so bad. It's sort of a negative message, but I do feel like there is no real way out. Like There's no way to just like have a really busy, successful, fulfilling career and have like a very balanced, wonderful family life where you feel on top of things and you don't always feel like you're running late or you forgot to handle this or you forgot to handle that. And I think that there are people who have to figure out who they are. Are they someone that wants to do a lot of things pretty well or do they want to do one thing extremely well? Mm. And you have to know who you are. And I'm someone who I'm happier in my day-to-day life doing a lot of things pretty well, some of them just well, some of them even just okay, but feeling like I got at least to experience everything. But there are moments where I do resent that I'm like not concentrating on my writing as much. And because I'm also every two seconds getting interrupted by text messages about school pickup, you know, but would I not want the kids? No. Would I not want to write? No. And I am... I find it very difficult to completely disconnect and only write because when I try to put my phone away, that's always when, you know, the world blows up and I'm like, you know, missing the nurse calling about so-and-so and, and, you know, what happened at school. And so I think you have to just decide who you are as a person and recognize that you're never going to be able to do everything extremely well. Yeah. It's and, not possible. And, and maybe that dance evolves in different seasons of life. 
I wonder, I mean, right now I'm so in the thick of it and I feel like my friends who are in this stage of life and I talk about it with my husband, like we all were like, we are just in the weeds. Like we're not in the weeds. Like there's different, there's the diaper stage where you're like, physically doing a lot of labor, yes. you know? Yes. That's, yes, that's, that would be you. Yes, I'm there. We don't really do physical labor at all with our kids anymore because they they dress themselves. They do everything themselves. I mean, frankly, taking their own Tylenol and putting on their own Band-Aids, you know, it's just, it's very different. I'm yeah. basically even get around the city by themselves at this point, except yeah. for the little one. Yeah. But they're still like, oh my God, what summer program is my son going to do? Should he go back to camp or should he do something substantial so it'll look better for college, which is like in some ways like a lot more taxing than like putting on a Band-Aid, you yeah. know? Yeah. And worrying about, are they doing drugs? Are they drinking? Are they vaping? Yeah. How do we talk to them about that? So there's just a lot of demands on our time and we're really, really in it. I mean, I do sort of hope that like in 10 years, things will feel calmer. But according to my friends who are at that stage of life, it never changes. Never changes. Okay. Although it, it evolves, it but evolves. I guess you never, it evolves. I mean, I'm sure like on a daily basis, people who have kids out of the house, if they decide they want to go down to Miami for the weekend, can go to Miami because they don't have kids at home anymore. Yeah. So there's that. But you should still expect to get text messages from your kids while you're in Miami with demands. Yes. Yes. And you talk about that so much in the book so well from obviously various different perspectives of just the load that women carry with all of the hats they wear. And all four of these women, all four of your characters in the Most Likely Club, are in or out of some sort of romantic relationship. But truly how I felt with this book was that the great love stories of this book are the friendships that these women have with each other. Can you talk about that? It was so beautiful and very powerful. Definitely. Well, I had written a lot. My previous books had focused a lot on family. I don't really write much in the way of romance. Like, I don't know why I'm not. I'm just like, I don't know. I Like, romantic relationships, like, they play roles in my books, but they're never, like, the central, central part. I think that I find more opportunities with family relationships and now friendship than I do for, like, really digging into what interests me and also what can be funnier. I think, you know, I'm sure if I were to write like a marriage tale, I could do a pretty funny job of like all the little things that like annoy us about our partners. Like Mm -hmm. I could probably do a funny, maybe that'll be the next book, but um, yeah, Yeah, you sort of set the groundwork for that in this one. There's some of that. Yeah, I could, I could probably, but at this point, you know, I'd done so much with family and I wanted to write about friendship because I'm such a friend person. Like, you know, that friends who are family thing, like I really believe in that. I'm super close with my friends. Like I just talk to them all the time. I'm really good at staying in touch with people. I have friends from high school. I have friends. Yep. Oh, yeah. It's dedicated to friends who are in touch, you know, friends who text back quickly. (laughs) I love texting with my friends. It really is like the jolt, that little serotonin boost I need all day long. My friends make me laugh. I just enjoy their company so much. I rely on them. I'm also like a very honest person. So I have real conversations with my friends. Like when I'm upset, I tell them I am not particularly private. So because I'm not really private, like it enables me to have these very deep friendships, but also like super fun friendships. So yeah, no, I think 
I mean, I, I, of course I love my family and they're the first people I know who would be there for me because family, I do, you know, I do think blood ties are, you know, and, and those marriage ties, they're, they're super strong, of course, but I, I really do feel sustained on a daily basis by my friendships. And, uh, I have, I feel so excited for my friends. I don't really suffer. I mean, I think some element of envy is probably just inherent for every relationship, you know, every type of friendship, like, yeah, but for me, it plays a very, very, very small role, I would say. Like, I I rarely find myself envying anything my friends have or achieve. It's, it's like, 99.9% of the time, I'm just so happy. And I brag about my friends all the time, which makes me happy because that's been pointed out to me. I guess I'm like bragging about myself because I'm like bragging that these amazing people want to talk to me. So it's sort of like I'm bragging about myself by bragging about my friends, you know, so it's like sort of egocentric, but I really just am so proud when my friends have these amazing accomplishments and they have a really have an amazing group of friends who have lit the world on fire. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Oh, so good, as, as happens in the book. So th- this book could not have been written by somebody who didn't have those deep female friendships because that is so evident that's woven into the fiber of these characters is that bond and that unconditional support, that intimacy that comes with knowing somebody so long and having done so much important life with another person, you know, in this case with a, with a group of people, how did you decide who these four women would be? How did you sort of carve out four unique characters? You know, you could never, it's impossible to represent all women. Everybody's story is so unique. Every person's story is so unique, but I would say from the outset, it was important to me that they were different from each other mm-hmm. because I wanted them just makes for a more interesting book if each of them was struggling, but in different ways, you know, so sort of think of like the natural ways that people might struggle as women in middle age, like, you know, I have a character who is like a super, superstar at work, like beyond superstar at work. And I have friends like that, but their personal life suffers and they 
find it hard to be a, you know, hashtag girl boss and they're held to different standards. So that was really interesting to me. And also, I mean, that's the character of Suki I'm talking about. Also for her, what I really liked exploring was like, she is the one who seems the most perfect on paper mm-hmm. and the most enviable on paper. And then you find out that things are not what they seem, which like in our social media world is so important to recognize because there's yeah. like a lot of, you know, putting out a certain facade that's not real at all, but yet, and even though people know it's not real, they still feel affected by it. And so Suki's sort of perfectly crafted manufactured life wasn't what it seems. I have, you know, a character in the character of Tara. I had someone who had a professional dream, but ended up in sort of an adjacent industry. And I think there's like a lot of sort of settling, like she wants to own her own restaurant and she ends up having a cooking you know, running a cooking school for little kids, you Mm -hmm. know? So she's sort of settled. Like she's in the culinary world, but not in the way she ever imagined. Mm -hmm. And I have Priya, who's the character that I relate to the most because she's like full-time professional, married to a full-time professional with three kids. And she is just like falling apart. You know, she's really capable. She's really well-intentioned. She's a good person and she wants the best for her family. She wants to be the best doctor she can be. She wants to be the best mother she can be and wife, but there is just not, there aren't enough hours in the day. And she is just, has like, you know, sleeping sand crusted in her eyes at all times. And she is constantly yawning and just so much can't, coffee. so much coffee <laughs> and just sort of wondering like, I have the same job as my husband. So like, why am I the one doing all the paperwork, you know? And that's something I think about a lot in my own family. And then Melissa, I wanted, you know, to deal with a character who's divorced and and navigating being a single mom, especially in her case where her husband is remarried and living in the same town and has another child. And she's like raising this teenage girl as a single mom. And, you know, she also deals with like, a serious weight, like a, an eating disorder. And she has this feeling like she was, she's someone where being chubby in high school stayed with her. And like, she will always see herself no matter how thin she gets and how great shape she whittles herself into and, and how much, you know, time she can spend on the Peloton. Like she will always have insecurity about her body and it's really exacerbated by the upcoming reunion. Mm -hmm. So that's like a kitchen sink of issues, although there are hundreds more I could have explored. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what is, what is the typical day for you like? Uh, uh, there's no typical, right? Because you're a mom, you're a writer. As you said, things always come up. But what is a day like in the life of a, a Alyssa Friedland? I would say complete mayhem. <laughs> Exhaustion. I'm super busy. I Because it's funny you asked about friends. I'm not part of my busyness is because I won't sacrifice my social life. Mm-hmm. I'm so obsessed with seeing my friends and having plans that I'm not saying things wouldn't be hectic if I just did family and job, but it would be one less thing if I wasn't also trying to meet a friend for lunch or go for drinks or go for dinner or go to this party or that party, or I never want to miss anything. So if I get invited to a wedding or my friend's daughter's, mitzvah in California. I'm like, yeah, I can go. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, so it means I'll take the red eye and I'll get there and I'll basically sleep standing up in the airport and I will, you know, work on the plane and this and that. And then I will go directly from the airport when I land to my son's school play. Like, because I'm just, it's very hard for me to say no to social things because I'm so attached to my friends. Mm-hmm. So a typical day is like, wake up. I try to exercise a few days a week for like my mental health exercise. I drink a ton of coffee. I respond to an endless stream of emails. I text my friends. I then tell myself, like, I'm going to write a thousand words of whatever new writing project I'm in while also still talking on the phone and texting and doing forms. And like my brain, like, I, I definitely feel like it's very hard for me to just focus on that. So I don't even know how I've written five books because I can't even remember writing them because I'm never really writing. I'm like writing, but I'm also signing up Sam for baseball and making an orthodontist appointment Mm -hmm. and remembering haircuts and -and so-and-so's birthday. And so I, somewhere I write books. It helps me to have that thousand word a day goal, which I don't always meet. And some days I don't write a single word, but then I do try to at least make up for it. If I have a day with nothing going on, I'll sit and I'll just try to do 3000 words to make up for the days I did nothing. I go to an office. I try occasionally to pick up my kids from school, although I often don't because it really eats up the middle of the day and come home, try to hang out with my kids also while working. I mean, I sort of think just being there is helpful, even if I'm not super focused on them, or at least I've told myself that. Mm -hmm. So I'll park myself at the dining room table and I'll work and the kids are just buzzing around me. So I'm there if they want to ask me a question but I'm not doing enough of the like singular focus. How is your day? Tell me about it. What's going on? Oh, what are you reading in school? You know, or if they ask me to look over an essay, I'm doing it with one eye while my other eye is doing something else. And, mm-hmm. you know, again, it's like, it's multitasking on steroids. Yeah. Well, fortunately, and I drink you're- wine and I go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully you get some sleep. Well, fortunately, as a writer, if you're doing it with one eye, you're probably still doing better than most people who are trying to do it with two eyes since it is your, it is your craft. <laughs> you Thank are good you. at it. Yeah. Um, so what advice Thank would you, you have? What advice would you have to aspiring writers? Definitely read as much as humanly possible. I'm sure a lot of people say that because it's true. Read a ton and read widely across different genres. And you should just always be reading a book, I think. And, um, what else? I mean, you just can't edit yourself enough. I always think it's really important to read your work out loud. I am a writing teacher as well. I think, did you know that I'm teaching? Yeah. yeah yes, so I teach, I teach writing, which is a lot of fun. And I found mm-hmm. my students seem to have responded really well to the advice about reading their work out loud because they hear, even though you read a book, you don't, I mean, actually it's not really true anymore because audiobooks are super popular, but still for the most part, books are read. And yet reading it out loud, you notice so many things that are really awkward that you wouldn't have noticed if you had only read it. So that's huge advice. And then, you know, it's a hard job. Like Mm -hmm. it just requires tremendous perseverance and you have to get accustomed to rejection. But I don't think there's like any job. It's probably hard to be successful at anything without facing a lot of setbacks and having to work your butt off. Yeah. Yeah. How can your readers connect with you? How can they follow you and keep up to date on everything at the Most Likely Club and what you're working on next and everything going on? So I'm most active on Instagram, so which is just 
at Alyssa Friedland, and I do book content, family content, recommendations, just general humor. That's the platform I like the most. And my website, which is also just my name, AlyssaFriedland.com. It's my book tour schedule, and you can sign up for my newsletter, which comes out sporadically and when I have time to do it. And that's really it. And I I will have another book out in uh, summer of 2024. But oh, and I have a children's book coming out. I I forget. I also have a picture book coming out in uh, February. So that's called The Museum of Lost Teeth. Okay. I was going to say, will you give us a little teaser about the children's book? Oh, absolutely. So it is fabulously illustrated. And I can say that because I'm not the one who illustrated it. Picture book. For kids, I would say ages like five to eight, five to nine, who are losing teeth, it's called the Museum of Lost Teeth, and it tells the story of where do the teeth go after the tooth fairy collects them from underneath pillows. So good. My kids ask that all the time. I can't wait to read them this book. I'm going to send you one today. Oh my gosh. Such a weird time for them. Their teeth just keep falling out, right? (laughs) It's so crazy. No, it's weird. And the other day, my nine-year-old and my 12-year-old lost teeth on the same day. It was so funny. And I was like, I had sort of forgotten that the 12 year old, they still lose teeth. That it's was nuts. They just keep out like sharks. Oh my gosh. This so, whole... Oh, so good. I can't wait. So the museum of lost teeth. So that's in February. Coming in and February. Uh, that's totally done. So then it's just waiting. Love and, it. Uh, Congratulations. That's it. Congratulations. So Alyssa Friedland, author of the most likely club, your fifth book with your sixth book, your children's book coming shortly on the heels. Thank you so much for chatting and we can't wait to follow all your exciting updates. Thank you so much. Very fun to be here. Absolutely. Thanks, Alyssa. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.